Movies are one of our most favorite sources of entertainment. They make money, and sometimes they get what's called a sequel, where people want to see more of the story that's being told. And sometimes sequels turn into franchises, and sometimes some franchises don't know when to fucking stop! Hi, I'm Lyle Groniger, and welcome to So To Speak. <laughs> I have here my co-host... Evan Mead. Yep. And, and uh, we have our special guest today, Cody McDonald. Hey, I'm back from the 90s, and I'm here to do what my bread and butter of conversation is, and that's to bitch about movies, but also love them at the same time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Don't we all just love doing that? Yeah. What else are you going to do on a Saturday night? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. Yeah. yeah. So, um... What we're going to talk about tonight are a bunch of fran. We've each picked a couple of franchises where we think they should have stopped at a certain point, but the franchises just kept going. The franchises didn't know when to quit. They left well enough alone. And because um, sometimes movies are great, like uh, when they are just standalone, and sometimes uh, sequels are completely unnecessary. I'm talking to you, Donnie Darko. Jesus Christ. That's a random, very bizarre choice. Well, because uh, Johnny Darko had that sequel where it's all about uh, his sister. Samantha. Oh, S. Darko? Yeah, yeah, I love Donnie Darko. I haven't seen S. Darko yet. Me neither. Yeah. I feel like I should just get it out of the way, but it's like a yeah. waste of time. I don't know. Now, I just want to make something very clear to our listeners out there. We're just not going to have the time nor the patience to get into big franchises that are still ongoing like star wars star trek um or well, I, I think the point of this exercise is we're talking about franchises that just should have stopped yeah but, but i wanted to bring up star wars and star trek because a lot of fans feel like they should have stopped a long time ago too but yeah. if we get into that territory it's just going to be too That's controversial a video for another day yeah uh, definitely sure. a video for another day so we each picked uh one franchise uh for tonight anyways so um what do you think? Uh, I, I can start. Yeah. What franchise do you want to talk about that you felt should have died at a certain point? <clears throat> Alien. Alien? Alien is a franchise created by Ridley Scott based on an idea by Dan O'Bannon. It was a pretty revolutionary film for its time and back in 1979, uh, I want to say. Was that when it came out? Yep, 1979. Ah, yep. oh, nailed it. Nice. Um... Very, very atmospheric, very creepy, very disturbing. The idea of a xenomorph which could implant itself into your body and lay eggs in your abdomen, ready to burst at any moment and feed on the remaining survivors. Pretty fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first day Such a heartwarming tale. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do go on. Um, anyways, uh, the first Alien is a bit of a slow burn, but it was a major success. And then it went on to this big bombastic sequel directed by, uh, should we call him a Canadian? <laughs> oh, he's Canadian, Canadian all Canadian, right. Canadian uh, James Cameron. I'm the king of the world! <laughs> I gotta say, like, some sequels go above and beyond, and I gotta say, 
Aliens is on par, if not, I, I personally like it a little bit better, but some say it's one, the one, one of the few sequels that is actually on par with the original. I gotta be honest, no, um, within the past two years, I've actually seen both Alien and Aliens for the first time. I do think Aliens is slightly better, but the first Alien has a magnetic appeal to it. Like I It's one of those movies you just can't take your eyes away from I the screen when you're I, watching it. The reason it. why I like Alien slightly more is that there's just a lot more going on. It's busier. The screen is literally filled with aliens at times. Also, it does exactly what a good sequel should do yeah, to advance broad- the story. It broadens the horizons of this tale. Ripley, yeah. Ripley comes into her own. She becomes a way stronger character. And she's like a total badass by the end. She fights off an alien queen almost entirely by herself. That's another thing. Instead of seeing one xenomorph in this movie, you see many xenomorphs, and then you get to fight the queen. Yeah, that get away from her, you bitch. That S at the end of the second movie actually means yeah. something, which I thought was clever. But and while Alien and Aliens is excellent, ended on such a high note. You know, we don't know where our heroes are gonna go next, but you know. Maybe they'll do, maybe they'll encounter more. Maybe we'll see what happens to them. Maybe they have, you know, a happy ending. No! Because no. <laughs> the next up is Alien 3. Yeah. Now, now, can we all agree that we feel like this franchise should have just been just these two films? You know, I'll, I'll get into that. But yes, I will say the series completely caps off after Aliens to me. Because Alien 3 is a garbage fire. It's the first film directed by David Fincher. He was hot off the trail of some very nice commercials and some music videos. Producers dragged him in and uh, got him involved in Alien 3, and it is a chaotic mess of a movie. No. The way with all the charm and awesomeness of the last two movies, especially on chaotic the... Chaotic mess of a movie is kind of an understatement when it comes to the pre-production of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, you you had some uh, factoids to go into Alien Three because um, yeah, say like the problem I have with Alien Three is that it's not like it's just dreary. Like I don't enjoy watching it at all. Like I know the other movies, like Alien is a horror film. I get you're not supposed to be like oh wow wee woo wah look at this wacky alien, <laughs> what a what yeah. a spectacle. No, I get it. it's an intense thrill ride. But with Alien 3, it's dreary. Ripley is, like, always in... She's at more risk of getting killed by the humans than the actual alien itself. And it's only one alien this time, so it feels like a step back. It yeah, it does feel like a step in back. In any new directions. I mean, it, it, it... I guess it kind of looks... Would you say it looks nice stylistically or not so much? I, I can't really say. Um, I mean, it has... It definitely has like a flair of early Fincher that we would definitely be more used to today in terms of his style, but it depends on what you want to look for. And that's what's so frustrating about Alien 3 is that if you want to judge the film, it's kind of hard because there's the theatrical cut, which Fincher has wants literally nothing to do with, and I'll go into that a little bit more after I say this point. I think that's the only version I've seen. But the assembly cut is what people mistakenly consider that being the director's cut. It's actually not, because Mm -hmm. Fincher wanted nothing to do with this film afterwards, and he doesn't want to go back to do a director's cut at all, because there were so many studio compromises 
in the production phase of this that like he never got to have any of his ideas to flourish you know yeah i bet like it must be frustrating because you you it's kind of like what's happening now in, in modern cinema it's like you take this young up-and-coming director put him in this major franchise him or her i should say but like and it's such a it, it's such a daunting task that essentially you're kind of being led by the nose by these producers because it's such a major undertaking. Yeah. So like it's unfortunate that Well, I, I kind of wanted to it was like that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying like it, it's unfortunate that Fincher started that way. He actually I th- yeah, I read this story like after he finished the film, he gave up filmmaking for like a good seven well maybe not seven years but like a good couple years and he just worked as a shoe salesman for a little oh i didn't hear about that but i mean if you look at the the time frame it would have been just another few years after the release of alien 3 that he came out with seven yeah no he came back and did seven which i think was a good move for him and that movie kind of gave him like i think the experience of making alien 3 actually uh really uh what's the word like uh geared him up to get final cut and final say into most of his movies yeah i think it shaped him into a tour so yeah well i i sorry i just wanted to backtrack a bit i know you i, I kind of share the same thoughts as you guys with alien and aliens like mm-hmm. alien is like i consider that like a textbook definition of like how to do a sci-fi horror film yeah, like it's interesting to see a movie where you're not really sure what the main who the main character is because Ripley doesn't really come into play until later on, and yeah, everybody's sort end, of getting yeah. killed off. Yeah, it's like everyone's getting killed off like really randomly, and you, you there's no one to really get attached to, which is what really works well about it. It, yeah. it is a slow burn, as you mentioned. Like it might uh, click for people, and it might not, but. Uh, I think that's what's so lived in and great about it, not just the atmosphere and the tone of it, but it, also the direct, like the art direction in the movie yeah. feels very lived in. It's very grungy. It's very slimy. Um, and that also goes into play with H.R. Giger's design of the xenomorph and how I think my a friend of mine, actually, you know, I'm Hunter. He, he mentioned before on how, the the alien design the intention was to really make a a creature that knows how to def- like it's a threat against everything that a, a human can be afraid of like it can be uh violence like it's just preying on you it it has a lot of like rape tendencies i know as dark as that sounds but it's true because oh it is the an allegory that, for that the way that the mouth opens up and it penetrates you and just the head of the xenomorph looks very phallic yeah um and with aliens don't worry lyle i'm with you on this because i'm i'm team aliens i love okay, aliens. Cool. i love that i love that the way this movie plays out instead of it being a horror sci-fi it's an action sci-fi yeah and uh there's a lot more likable characters this time around and the stakes are changed this time around like it's a lot more intense i feel yeah, like it, it with, is not uh, a derivative sequel it is very very forward thinking i like the fact that these marines are introduced i like how it's like oh so people can actually fight in space and they don't know what they're up against they think they got it under control and then oh oh the tables are turned now we're being hunted yeah yeah it's brilliant i love it yeah and like even they're not really prepared for it either yeah and ellen Rip- but with uh with, with it, yeah yeah 
Okay, so we Sorry, what was that? the first three Alien movies. I, I I just want to wrap up with Alien 3 and just say the way it ends is probably the only thing I really remember that well. Like, Ripley gets... Uh, spoiler alert, everyone, for anyone who hasn't bothered watching Alien 3, but, like... A chest You're not missing much. <laughs> basically, Ellen Ripley has an uh, alien queen embryo inside of her. I forget how she gets it exactly, but whatever. So, um, then... Bishop Whalen comes down and he's like, I want that queen, god damn it. And she's like, No, fuck all y'all. And she sees like she she hangs precariously over like a lava pit and just as the thing is about to burst through her chest, she jumps off the edge and lands into the the lava pit, killing the alien embryo, presumably the last one of its kind, and um, just wipes the entire slate clean. So Ellen and Ellen uh, sacrificed herself to save the universe. I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not sure if that was the last alien, but it seemed like it. Yeah, Lyle, I have to Basically, ask you: do, do you actually know about like the the process of this movie, like how meddled it was? Um, I've heard stories. Yes. So in 1990, they actually released an announcement teaser for this movie. That yeah. actually stated, saying, in in the summer of 1992, on Earth, everybody can hear you scream, which is sort of like a callback to the uh, initial tagline. Of the yeah, original, the tagline. Yeah, space, the original tagline. No one can hear you scream. I do so, think that I do, Cody. Just to interrupt. I do think that yeah. a tagline in space, no one can hear you scream, is one of the best taglines in cinematic history. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was so good that. Uh, uh, Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, even wrote gave Mark Watney a line in the book that said, "In space, nobody can hear you scream like a little girl." It didn't make it into the Marvel uh-huh. movie, which was also directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, okay, okay, nice. That's ironic, yeah. Carry um, on. So, what were you saying about Alien Three? Oh, just how well. First of all, they really created like a great premise for the third film. Like, imagine that. Like, the stakes are even changed even better. For a third movie, I overheard there was one point where they were gonna, like Ellen lands on a, a planet made of wood or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was gonna get into that. I was gonna get into that. So, yeah. so the producers of these movies, uh, Walter Hill and David Geiler, like yeah, they, Walter Hill. They were uh, they were the producers of Alien, and then they had their hand on the script a bit with Aliens, and then until James Cameron kind of rewrote it a bit more. So him, yeah. them, and them and 20th Century Fox knew that they wanted to make a third movie. But with the only one notion is that it's going to take place on Earth, right? So they hired their first writer, and the first draft was supposed to be just mainly about Hicks and Bishop. And Hicks it was played by Michael Bean, and Bishop was uh, uh, Lance Hendrickson Lance from Alien, uh, right? Yes. So that was the first writer, and it was supposed to be mainly on them because Sigourney Weaver dropped out, and she didn't want to be involved with that movie at all because they... But she felt like at the time there really wasn't much to do with her character. So uh, Fox felt like that first draft of that was too ambitious because there was a lot of action scenes. So they completely like scrapped that and they cut that writer. And then mm. uh, Rainy Harlan was brought on board. And uh, uh, we'll talk Rainy about him Yeah, we'll talk about him later on with yes. Bernard, But uh, but he he, uh, he was the first director brought on board after this after making uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Four, I believe. Yeah, he did yeah. the fourth one. And he pitched a few ideas, one of them being like uh, like an origin story on the alien planet 
and I guess later on that would be Prometheus, but we'll get to that. Yes. And then uh, he pitched an idea like it would take place on Earth, but it would be centered around cornfields, which kind of sounded a bit cool, but Fox turned all that shit down. And then uh, at that point, uh, I guess Fox hated the idea of it being on Earth, which is like, okay, then why release that fucking announcement trailer? Because you're building up such a huge fan base for disappointment, you know? Yeah, that's not- and then uh, the the the, uh, the president of Fox actually came out and said, "All right, if you guys don't int- uh, include Ripley into the script, I'm completely shutting this whole project down." Wow. And Randy Harlan said, "Fuck this, I'm out." And he went on to do Die Hard Two, right? All right. So so uh, they like get Die another Hard writer on board. As you said, like they were going to have it taking place on this uh, wooden planet, which sounded interesting, right? Yeah, I and it was the first draft to actually have Ripley in it, right? Yeah. And uh, the whole planet was supposed to be inhabited by monks, but then later on a new writer was on board and changed it from monks to a prison filled with monks. And it was just, it was a complete disaster. And then finally, like, this newcomer uh, who has no idea how to make a big film, David Fincher, he's only coming off of, off of just doing music videos, and... Uh, Finally, they got another writer to do another rewritten script of it taking place on a prison, adding on Sigourney Weaver to the script. And then uh, basically that was the shooting script. And uh, even going into the production, the two uh, producers, Walter Hill and David Geiler, were actually like rewriting the film as they were fucking shooting it, right? Wow. And do uh, one of you guys now want to take a wild guess on how much money they spent on pre-production and development for this movie before even shooting a single frame? Uh, no clue. It's kind of a shot in the dark. Uh, $20 million? No, a little, little bit too much, but uh, right. $13 million. Okay. I was off by just a mere $7 million. But that's fucking unbelievable. Like, I actually, as you can tell, like, I, I find the making of this movie much more fascinating than Alien 3 the film because it's such a frustrating waste of potential. Yeah. I think if I had to be honest, it's probably my least favorite entry in the franchise just because it just, it doesn't really work. It could have been like a drama sci-fi, you know, like the first film, the first alien being like a horror sci-fi and then an aliens being an action sci-fi. Like this could have been like a solid drama sci-fi yeah. have been more compelling and more interesting, but like, it was just so dull, and it was, I don't know, it didn't really have a lot of weight to it. And also, we'd be fools not to mention the biggest sin that this movie did right off the bat was killing off Hicks and Newt and Bishop right at the very beginning off camera. Yeah. I still like how Michael Bain, uh, who played Hicks in this yeah. uh, Alien film, uh, despite, I think he was... I don't know if you what the term is. It's not paid to scale, but he was basically like pay to play or something. Like either way, he was gonna make money, and um, he actually got paid more for almost being in this movie than he ever did on being on Aliens. That's so funny. That is so fucked up. Yeah, he's That's so fucked. Yeah, no. I, and also, so like, they they missed this. huge missed opportunity to drop uh, Newt and uh, Hicks. Bishop shows up a little bit, but, like, not much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Bishop is think, in the movie. I forgot about that. Yeah, you I think killing Bishop off survived. the main character... Is, is that all you have to say about Alien 3? Should we, should we keep going? I feel like we kind of, like, 
Yeah, still on the. We have like a few a more. You haven't even talked about uh, the yeah. Alien versus Fuckface movies. I'm or... not talking about <laughs> Alien versus Predator. That's... Yeah, we're not counting those. Oh, those shoot. I know. I I don't even care. That's kind of its own separate entity because it's a, it's yes, a technically yes, a, it's a crossover. Yes. But yeah, moving on. Um, so Alien Three, you kill off Ripley. She's done. She's she's brown bread. You know how do you? But thanks to the miracle go from a dead character, what are you going to do with the story now? Well, I tell you what, you resurrect it. Alien, Alien resurrection. Alien resurrection. <laughs> now, I'm the... I, can I just say I'm the noob here? I've only seen the first two, so I kind of stop... I, the only movies I've seen are where you feel that... You're the, better so, off. Yeah. <laughs> you are so better off, Evan, and I wish I was you. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. You did the right thing. But uh, we were too we were too curious and we let the curiosity get the better of us. Who directed Alien Resurrection? Uh a French director named Jean-Pierre Junet, who I actually very, very much like. Oh, okay. He did Amelie. Amelie. He directed Sit Lost Children. And he directed this one film I think is very underrated. It's called Delicatessen. It's one of my favorite foreign films. Please check it out. Delicatessen. And it, it's just so it's just so funny that all four of these films, the first four Alien movies, are all directed by like very critically acclaimed filmmakers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they got talented people on board. It's not that's not the problem. I think it's the writing. They just yeah, I think it's just too many cooks in the kitchen or something. Well, do you guys know who wrote this movie? Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cool. And you know what? And Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon has went on the record saying that like he wanted to make this movie a lot more uh, kind of quippy and like his style of, of writing. Well, he does that but, for uh, everything he fucking does. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they completely shut that down and they churned, they just rewrote a lot of the dialogue. But you can tell like this is very early stages of Joss Whedon trying to write something very Firefly-ish. Yeah, it, it feels like a proto-Firefly, to be honest. You have like a crew of like smugglers and ripley and uh going around and a ship you mean sir you mean not ripley oh uh, yes um ripley. yes test tube ripley on ripley <laughs> what do they call her kind of weird ripley yeah basically someone found a sample of dna of ripley cloned her she still had the embryo of the queen from the third movie, but they removed it from her surgically. And uh, I guess they just kept uh, her clone around. So now she's not really Ripley anymore. She's kind of like uh, Ripley with some xenomorph traits, but not a xenomorph. She's just yeah. strong, and she has senses. She can kind of communicate with them. Oh, and she's very good at basketball. I feel like um, this movie... <laughs> Teaches, I feel like this movie has a theme where, like, um, it actually comes up in the fr in the franchise I'm going to talk about next. If you give a character a good and satisfying death, like, just keep him dead, you know? Yeah, exactly. No. Just let Don't talk it. sleeping dogs lie, for God's sakes. Um, Alien Resurrection, if I'm being honest, I don't hate it as much as Alien 3. I kind of short... It, it's a very chortle-worthy movie. Like, I kind of chuckle at a lot of things... Because it, yeah. it's kind of un unintentionally hilarious. Well, Alien 3 is I, so frustratingly bland, and it's such a waste of potential, and I find it hard to get through, but when it comes to Alien Resurrection, it's such a silly, stupid, bland... It, 
sci-fi action film that it's almost a little bit easier to get through, but at the same time, it doesn't do anything new for the franchise, and that's kind no. of the biggest problem. No, it is very, uh, yeah, I would not pass this off as a good movie, but it is a good time if you're drunk. That alien is so goofy looking in it. Yeah, oh yeah, the the human-xenomorph hybrid motherfucker, yeah. It's so funny looking. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not that good. Um... <laughs> I like the cast though, like some of the people, like Winona Ryder and Ron Perlman, like yeah, them they're 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 okay, but like yeah, I'm not really fond of like the direction they took Ripley in. The only effective scene I think is when she finds herself in like that test tube room and she's all she sees all the failed clones, and she sees one that's like just clinging onto life, and it's just like kill me. She has to take oh, yeah, incinerate herself. Wow. That was a very, very twisty scene. I like yeah. that one, but like I don't know. That, yeah, I know, it's it's not a great entry in the series. I, it's more of a guilty pleasure for me than anything, so Yeah. Uh, so we it did not resurrect the alien franchise. It kinda just came and went. And then Basically, yeah. loads of years later, way past the nineties, we got into well, we got an alien versus predator thing. That was a little diversion. I don't even know. I don't even count those though. They're like high budgeted fan films. It's like if you got a bunch of action figures and just bang them together. That's all. <laughs> yeah, basically. It takes place in contemporary Earth, which makes no fucking sense. But okay. Well, that's because the Predator movies took place in contemporary Earth. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, you know, yeah, like that first Alien movie. Yeah, it's like good. You know, it's okay. Whatever. It's kind of slow. But you know what? We really need. We need to have like a giant pyramid with a predator at the top of it fighting off. Thousands of CGI uh, xenomorphs. It's so awesome. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's what I want. Give it to me. <laughs> well, because it, it kind of implies that I think was established in Prometheus. I know a little bit about the story of Prometheus, which is what you're going to get into next. Yes. But the the idea that you know a civil the civilization discovered humanity way before the events of the first Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get, in, let's get into Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Prometheus. I'm going to talk about So Ridley Scott is back, ladies and gentlemen. And Yay. The triumphant return to yeah, the series. And he made two more installments, which is admirable to say the least, because it's not too often that a director will Out return of, to a franchise. It was like a George Lucas where he made like half the movie. Half the movies in the series. Uh, yeah, or even George Miller when he came back to do Mad Max Fury Road. That's true, yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. In all due respect, Prometheus is okay. Both, I'd say both of them are just kind of, like, this and Alien Covenant are just kind of okay. I like Prometheus a little bit more. But, um, yeah. Basically, it's not really alien. It's kind of more like... Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to put it on the map of the timeline, because it takes place before Xenomorphs even existed. And it just explains, like, these people are trying to understand, like, how they got... They're trying to... They're basically trying to find the origin of man. So they go to this planet. Yeah. They found this beacon written on a cave wall or something. And, uh, yeah, they, they uh, uncover the engineers. So in the first alien, there's this... There's this really uh, in eerie part of the movie where you see this this really old fossil of an alien creature... Not the alien, but just a different alien. 
that was a victim of what these xenomorphs turned out to be. And everyone was like, well, what the fuck is that? And so Damon Lindelof, who uh, helped write the movie, decided, oh, let's focus on those things. And those are the engineers. And they put their DNA into a, in a, into our water system and created, like, uh, the first organisms on Earth. And that's where we came from, essentially. And so... Um, yeah, it's basically like, it sets up the idea of the Xenomorph, but doesn't really fully go into it. Um, I gotta be honest, like, Prometheus has, like, it, it tries very hard to be smart, but there are some moments that just kind of make me shake my head. It's mostly a lot of the character moments, to be honest. Yeah. Like, there's this, the geologist man, he's just like, I, I, I like rocks, I collect rocks, I'm not here for dead bodies. And I'm here to get paid. So let's leave this cave and get lost somewhere so that we can get infected and go <laughs> turn into monsters. It's kind of silly shit like that. The one good thing I will say about Prometheus is I really like the android character, David. Yeah, Michael Fassbender's character. There's a, there are a couple, there are some really, I gotta say, the Alien franchise has some really cool android characters. We've got Ash, played by Ian Holm in the first one. Oh, uh, oh he's back? What? No, 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 I'm talking about just, like, Android oh, characters sorry, in the I franchise. Yeah. Ash from the first one, played by Ian Holm, is really good, very menacing, creepy as hell when he's decapitated and all his milky fluid flies out of him. Ugh. <laughs> Lance <laughs> Hendrickson is, like, a monotone motherfucking badass. I like Bishop, he's cool. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see him with a knife, but that's just me <laughs> playing that knife game. Um, and then you have Call and uh, Alien Resurrection, played by Winona Ryder. Eh, not the best one, but she's okay. And then we have, like, David here, who's, like, um... Just... He, he, he's... He's just the... He's just, like... He's trying to discover humanity. I... There's such a level of dark wit to him. Because I remember there's the part where, like, the guy is all dis... The guy who's leading the ex ex expedition is, like, all disenfranchised. He's like, oh... We had an alien head, and my wife blew it up by putting electricity in it. Now I'm all upset because I didn't get to find out whatever I was looking for, even though I made the biggest discovery in mankind. I'm all depressed. And he's like, well, what were you expecting? What do you think? Uh, why did you create me? It's like, because we could. Uh, well, how would you feel if that's what they said to you? He's like, whatever. And then he gets infected with black goo. And I was like, I could go on and on with Prometheus, but at the end of the day, it's fine. The visuals are great. Ridley yeah. definitely put in effort, which is nice. I know he has a bit of a weird track record when it comes to his work, but like, I can see like he really had his best intentions making Prometheus. Yeah, no, I I will say like I actually like Prometheus, and because it, it feels separate from the Alien franchise, it is. even it's though very it's separate. sort of. It's, it's sort of a backstory-ish, but it's sort of a, it's a movie that still works on its own terms, even if you're not familiar with the alien like lore, I guess. Yeah. But it's it's cerebral. I like that type of stuff in sci-fi films. It has a lot of Greek mythology subtext that I found kind of interesting. I mean, it's literally called uh, Prometheus, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you 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 mentioned like the the. Uh, for both films, actually, for both Prometheus and Alien Covenant, David is definitely the best part of it. Um, 
that yeah. C-section scene in Prometheus yeah. is, is fucking intense. It's like basically the ch- chestburster scene. Well, um, it's trying to prevent the chestburster scene. Yeah, well, no, it's similar to where it's such a intense scene of like what's going to happen kind of thing. Like there's something inside of you, how, you know. But every movie really likes every movie really likes to play with that chestburster scene because it was so iconic in the first Alien, mm. and they keep. But here's where I draw the line in saying that Alien Covenant to me is the film that fucking killed this franchise for me. That's what everyone says. Yeah. Surprisingly, everyone loves this prologue, which I do as well. I I I'm so done because this movie fails at both being a proper sequel to Prometheus. And it also doesn't tie into Alien whatsoever. Yeah, the only thing it does is that it finally shows how the Xenomorph came to be. Yeah, like you mentioned, Lyle, like you thought the characters in Prometheus were stupid. These characters in fucking Alien Covenant, they don't even wear helmets in on these. They get infected so easily, and I'm like, you moron! I just, on a new planet. I just thought of like Sam Rockwell from. Uh, from Galaxy Quest, just yelling, like, <laughs> "Is there is there air on this alien planet? You don't know." <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, and, and, and quick. a fucking shower scene. Really, really, Scott. What is? Oh this? yeah, that shower scene felt like something right out of Friday the Thirteenth. It was one so other dumb. thing uh, I will say is that um, I just remember the year Prometheus came out. It was 2012, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There were a lot of like big iconic movies that year, and I was in film school. A lot of my friends were and classmates were really looking forward to Prometheus, and it got mixed reviews amongst them. Like some of them liked, yeah. some of them hated. It's very divisive. I no think. one really loved it, but no one ha- people hated it, but no one loved it. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Compared to Alien Three and even Alien Resurrection, it is better. Yeah, it's just not up there with the the first two Alien movies, and neither is Alien Covenant. And it, even though it does have a pretty good hook at the end, that's like, oh, what's gonna happen next? It's like. I don't know. They're going to fight more aliens. People are going to die. We're going to have even less answers than the last one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like these new movies are trying so hard to be like, like they're trying to be so profound and epic, but really it's like, I'm just not all that attached to the characters that much. The biggest problem is that we're trying too hard to focus on the alien, but we're not focused enough on, like, the human element. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that these films always end off with, like, this vibe of, like, oh, it's open-ended, there's always going to be room for continuation, you know, when there really isn't with Alien, because... I don't know. I just feel like there's nowhere to go from here. And I guess that they're trying to make another one. I don't know. But I feel like at the end of the day, Alien Aliens is all I need. And just because of how separate Prometheus is, I accept that. But everything else I can go without. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because someone, a a mutual friend of ours, his name's Hunter, uh, brought up a really, really interesting idea. It's kind of radical, but I think it could work. Where, much like the Halloween franchise, which went so off the rails that they rebooted it, like, I don't know how many times, but they, it, it's like they just cut out all the sequels and focused on the first one and continued from there. 
So if you could cut out all the bullshit and just continue off where aliens took like took place, then you get like Michael Bain, who's not really doing anything right now. You get the actress Newt, who actually retired from acting shortly after Aliens, and maybe Sigourney Weaver could come back to in the reins as Ellen Ripley. And but they're much older. How would that work? Maybe maybe they got their sleep capsules or like hey. or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. And by the way, Cody, <laughs> in the franchise you're going to talk about, either to uh, in this part or the second part, uh, you act. There's a very serious problem with actors getting older. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Oh yes, yes. I we'll get exactly to that later, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. James Cameron set the bar so high. They just never really were able to get over that standard. Yeah. So that's my thoughts on the Alien franchise. Uh, kind of puttered out. Six movies, and it should have stopped after two. That's not a good sign. No. <laughs> but please, honestly, guys, do be like Evan. Don't be like us. Just stick with the Bruce. <laughs> exactly. Which is a theme we will see later. Okay. Trust me. Uh, you know what video? Do you know what video you guys should YouTube after this podcast? Which one? Just type in David Fincher on the set of Alien 3. There's, okay. a set, there's, a, there's a shot of him literally sitting there just completely frustrated. And he's like, I'm surprised they even showed this in the Alien Clothology, whatever it's called, for the Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, I have um, it. it like, he's literally sitting there just so stressed out. And then he noticed that there's like a boom mic right above him. And he grabbed it and he went, everyone at Fox are a bunch of fucking morons. <laughs> well... Actually, okay, I got one last note to end on with Alien. I remember yeah. I bought this comic series. It was the uh, Aliens Dark Horse comics line. And oh, it, yeah, yeah I heard this. It continues with what happens with um, Aliens right afterwards. Like it, it focuses on a grown-up Newt and a disgruntled Hicks, and it actually doesn't really even touch on Ellen Ripley. We don't know what happens to her. And it was... It's just like focusing on a new bend of like there's like a cult who wants to harvest the aliens because they think they're like the future evolution of humans. There's like this secret organization that's trying to like hunt down Newt and, and Hicks like they're like this uh, secret agent or something. And like Newt even like falls in love with an android. Like there were so many ideas that I liked in the comic that I'm like, okay, well you know what? I don't need this series. I'll just stick with this Dark Horse line of comics because like this is kind of what I've always what should happen after Aliens. So yeah, I guess like if you just don't want to like go on with the series, just read those books because honestly they're actually pretty kick-ass. Yeah. But yeah. That's, yeah. So that's my note. I, I am done with Aliens. Someone, someone, just stop. Kill me. Okay. So, uh, I feel kind of jealous because you picked uh, one of the most iconic franchises in movie history. The franchises I'm picking are, they've kind of faded from relevance in today's pop culture, but, and whenever someone tries to bring them back, it just falls flat. Uh, but um, the first franchise I want to talk about is actually one that I had a lot of fun with when I was a teenager and when I was in elementary school. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, they nice. made they made five uh, Pirates movies, and it started in 2003 with a little movie that a lot of us underestimated called The Curse of the Black Pearl. 
and uh, I and to think it was all based on some ride. Yeah, no, that's the cool thing. Like, the, the, how can uh, an iconic ride at Disney World uh, or Disneyland, sorry, uh, become such a big you know money maker uh, on the big screen? But uh, you'd be surprised. The First entry into this series, Curse of the Black Pearl, is actually one of my most all-time favorite action-adventure films. I watched it the summer after I, in between elementary school and high school, I actually watched it once or twice a week, every week that summer, and I actually, that's when I really started to love the movie. I saw it in the theater because in 2003 when it came out because my mom is a huge Johnny Depp fan, or mm-hmm. was at the time, and when she heard that Johnny Depp was leading this movie, she's like, yeah, we're going to see it. Uh-huh. Um, the movie, my favorite movie that summer was Finding Nemo, but Pirates of the Caribbean was also a really fun time. So I, the first time, I gotta be honest, I, I didn't really get the story, I had to watch it a few more times, but once I got the story, I actually had a lot of fun. It is essentially, the Curse of the Black Pearl is essentially... Uh, Johnny Depp plays Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy. And he is a disgraced pirate captain, very emphasis on captain, who lost his ship and his pride, the Black Pearl, but through a series of nautical nonsense not related to SpongeBob, he has to go... It's By the way, this is uh, an adventure, an epic uh, an epic adventure, but it's got its comedic moments. Would like you say that Captain Jack Sparrow is the worst pirate you've ever heard of. But you have heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that exactly. be- that became a meme. I love it. So <laughs> lots of uh, stuff from the first films became a meme. I'll get into oh, my my favorite meme is actually that when that guy went, uh, that's gotta be the best pirate I've ever seen, and then Norrington went, so it would seem. Yeah, and no. Then it just, it'll, um, cut to, like, it'll cut to like something like Unremotely epic, set to like the score, the main theme of pirates. It's pretty yeah. funny. So, um, so the curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, so Jack's Captain Jack loses his ship to an old fuse first mate who committed mutiny on him, Captain Barbosa, and uh. the pl- <laughs> Captain Barbosa. I think is one of the best characters in this series. They build him up a lot more in. The, the, the third, much in, in the third one in the third one and in the fourth and fifth one in surprising ways. He's in the fifth one too. Oh yeah, he is in the fifth Full one. Full disclosure: I have not seen the fifth one. I'm gonna get into that, but <laughs> so basically, yeah. the whole movie is about Jack getting this iconic uh, pirate ship back, and he has to face Barbosa, and they have to uh, break a curse that is caused by touching. Aztec gold from a secret island that nobody can find except by those who already know where it is, Ila de Muerta. And along the way, he gets entangled with a blacksmith named Will Turner, played by Orlando Bloom. Legolas. Yeah, that's another thing I want to talk about. The The casting of this movie was superb. Like, they had... Uh, Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush were the two like seasoned actors and they are the hero villain uh, dynamic and they are the two like iconic actors in this movie but Orlando Bloom was just coming off of Lord of the Rings so he was great as the B-lister the other B-lister who was just coming into her own was Kira Knightley who plays Elizabeth Swan and Elizabeth Swan is the 
damsel, but she's not really a damsel. This was like what she gets captured by the crew of the Black Pearl and taken to the island, but Will wants to rescue her and Jack wants to get his ship back. So the two of them team up to go get Elizabeth and they learn about the curse with the Aztec gold and how um, it's uh, how to break it and how there's like a bloodline that Will is a part of that uh, can break the curse. So it's really a thrill ride of, you know, uh, and by the way, it's really it's a thrill ride of, you know, what the, the movie does with uh, its characters and the fact that and Jack wants to get a ship back. But along the way, you get to really like want him to have a ship back when you see like how, um, how what kind of a character he is and how much fun you can have with him. The villain Barbosa is really good. Like he wants to break the curse with the Aztec gold. Uh, and just to elaborate a little bit on what the curse is, Barbosa and his crew are cursed with living death, which means in when they're exposed to moonlight, they turn to skeleton, like walking skeletons, and you can't kill them. But yeah. when they're not in moonlight, nothing can kill them. You stab them, they don't die. You shoot them, they don't die. So, but the, the sad reality of this curse is even though they're immortal... They cannot feel anything. They can't taste food. They can't taste drink. They cannot, you know, experience the lust of a woman. You best be believing in those pirate stories, Lassie. You're in one. You're in one. Yeah. Oh, that's a great song. Um, yeah, no, uh, and you're getting into the something I was going to talk about. The musical score, uh, Hans, oh, Hans so Zimmer. fucking good. <laughs> This is this is without a doubt one of the most. I, this is one of uh, without a doubt one of the most iconic musical scores in cinematic history. Yeah. And just to give you yeah. an idea of the first impact of the impact the first movie left on me as an audience member, the score was in my head for many years after that. Uh, in the film industry, it actually out outperformed. It made a killing at the box office, and not only that, it actually got some oscar recognition too it got tons of nominations in the technical categories makeup and sound design specifically but what surprised everyone was johnny depp got a nomination for best actor in a movie that was based off of a ride in an amusement park that is insane yeah so not to not to not to side away from anything but just a call back to the previous uh franchise we were talking about sigourney yeah. weaver was nominated for an oscar for aliens that's right oh, yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's even rarer because it's a science fiction movie. Yeah, sci-fi films uh, typically do not get that much Oscar. Sci-fi or comedy. Yeah, no, those movies are those movies are underappreciated. Uh, but yeah. Oscars Give them the recognition they deserve. God damn it. Yeah, God bless the Shape of Water, though. Yes. But anyways, finally, uh, back to pirates. So. At the, the, I'm going to spoil it for all two of you who don't know the story. At the end of the first Pirates movie, uh, Jack Sparrow defeats his rival Barbosa in a way that actually makes you really feel sorry for him. They break yeah, the I agree. death. I, that's the part I love about Barbosa is that like he, he just wants to break the curse and be able to feel something. And then when they defeat him, his final words is, I feel cold. Yeah. Like, he feels satisfied just on his deathbed, essentially, just to feel something, even though he's dying. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. That's very nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we got enough into the plot. Uh, how do you feel about this installment? Do you feel like it's the strongest of the bunch? I actually feel it's the strongest of the bunch. However, 
I revisited the whole, I revisited the trilogy this past summer, and I actually, at first I thought, I feel like it should have stopped at this one, but for an interesting reason, I actually feel like the, 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 the trilogy is justified, and I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the movie, he gets the Black Pearl back, and Will and Elizabeth fall in love, but when you see Jack get the Black Pearl back... You know that the door is open to all kinds of uh, adventures at sea that he can have with his ship, and yeah. see him enjoy his see him enjoy himself all along the way. And I got to be honest, the last shot of the movie is so satisfying when Jack just hugs the 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 wheel. That's uh, that I'm I'm not a nautical guy, uh, Cody. Do you know what's the name of the steering wheel that steers the ship? Does it have like a fancy mm. term like? Uh, like uh, just the wheel yeah yeah, the, yeah when the he's wheel. hugging the wheel and just caressing it and then he you know get orders the crew into position and then he says drink up me ho like it's so satisfying you really feel like this guy and this uh is he he achieved his goal and it felt so amazing now yeah. we had to wait another three years before another pirates movie came on the scene dead man's chest was one of the most anticipated sequels that people that I in my lifetime walked into like this was up there with the star Wars prequels that I was going to see in the theaters at the time. So dead man's chest was a big fucking deal. Um, I remember we went into it with a lot of optimism, my family and I, and, uh, I didn't really like, I wouldn't love it the first time I saw it, but I did watch it multiple times. And it basically ups the ante from what was established in the first movie. Like the first movie is all about, pirates and mythical elements at sea and a lot of the stuff that they explore in these movies is stuff for is real myth from actual pirate lore that exists yeah. in real like and, and actually incorporates real pirates that existed in real like history into the into the series jack sparrow is by no means a real pirate that people have heard of I but wish. Uh, yeah we wish but um, the second movie ups the ante in a lot of ways. So remember how I said a couple lines ago that Jack, uh, Will and Elizabeth fall in love, but their wedding is tragically interrupted in the intro of Dead Man's Chest by this douchebag authoritarian dick who uses the, who wants to use a capitalist trading company the east india company which was a real trading uh industry at the time uh back in the 1700s yeah he wants to use that company to essentially seize all capitalist and industry in the the world's oceans because it's part of the british empire and he wants to he's basically out for global domination and he wants to lord beckett wants to control the sea through industry and he feels that the only way he can do that is to get the compass that Jack Sparrow owns and uh he arrests a Will and Elizabeth for aiding and abetting a fugitive who was condemned to death by the crown so uh as a result Will has to go find Jack and basically tell him hey I need your compass because my freedom my my fiance's freedom and mine freedom depends on it and then Jack's like I'll give you the compass but not until I'm done with it and meanwhile Jack and his crew are meandering about the ocean and one night 
Jack gets an appearance from Bootstrap Bill Turner, played by Stellan Skarsgård, who is the the, lo- the presumed dead father of Will Turner. And um, he realized, and then uh, Bill Turner is part of the crew of the legendary ship, the Flying Dutchman. And the Flying Dutchman is captained by one of the most iconic CGI characters and CGI villains in all of cinema, or at least in this decade, Davy Jones. You make a lot of declarative statements. <laughs> well, I mean, no, Davy Jones, because they used smoke. Gollum from the, the Lord of the Rings movies paved the way for a new generation of CGI characters because uh, they used mocap on the actor Bill Nye to basically turn Davy Jones into a menacing and fearsome creature. Like he is like Ooh, half, he's half man. Yeah, Bill, he's played by Bill Nye. You can't even tell it's Bill Nye. Like Bill Nye the science guy? No, oh, Bill Nye he. Bill Nye he. Oh, they said Bill Nye. <laughs> it's no. pronounced. They're pronounced almost identical. Their names uh, are almost no. Identical. No, yeah. David. Sorry, sorry, go on. Science no, guy from PBS. No, uh, Bill Nye, the British actor, who uh, he was in Love Actually, who also had Kira Knightley. Um, he's been in a bunch of things. Yeah, no, he's well known. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's really good as Davy Jones, and he's just icky to look yeah. at. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be too close. So to the plot of this movie is essentially. Jack made a mythical deal with Davy Jones, who is essentially the the dark lord of the ocean. He controls um, those who he controls the fate of those who live and die at sea. Yeah. And he he apparently made a debt. He made a deal with Jack Sparrow thirteen years prior to give Jack the black pearl to basically do as he will for however long. And the deal is, but Jack owes Davy Jones his soul. But in exchange for getting out of this debt, Jack basically Davy Jones gives him a deal. Uh, you collect a hundred souls for me, and then your our debts paid off. So Jack has to go harvesting a bunch of souls, and he goes to this hilarious island that was in the first movie, uh, Tortuga. Tortuga is basically this shithole in the middle of the Caribbean. No one obeys the laws there. It's basically pirate heaven where people just do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, it's kind, it's actually a comic relief, uh, location. Uh, it's a funny place. Yeah. Tortuga is really funny. So they go to Tortuga and pick up a bunch of, you know, unsuspecting souls that are, that just, that just, that just want to be pirates. And they go back out to sea, and they pick up Elizabeth, who is uh, looking for Will, because Will goes out to find Jack. And I- I'm sorry if I feel like I'm kind of meandering, but the, the plot honest, of this we, movie is... Mac- to go through the entire plot of yeah, well, it's, it's kind of ropey. Yeah, it is. And There's even one part, I don't know if it's in the second movie or third movie, where the two guys, Rigetti, Pinto and Rigetti... Oh, yeah, them. My favorite characters... Who literally is like, what's going on now? And Pin- and Rigetti literally breaks down every single character arc. He's kind of like... little motivation that's moving these characters he's, along. He's like... They're like Louise from Ant-Man. Yeah, well, yeah. They're the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this franchise, yeah. I would say. Pintel and Rigetti. Those guys yeah, are those hilarious. Those are my favorite characters, yeah. to be honest. Um, they're, I don't know. The Louise. Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, uh, Timon and Pumbaa of this series. Yeah, yeah they're really funny. But I, what I'm saying is, do we have to go through the no, entire plot? No, uh, but, but here's the thing. Can it, we summarize it yes. in like two sentences? I just thought I'd go into a little detail because you did it with the aliens series. and uh, But yeah, so uh, basically uh, this. Just, just a few the notes. point is... 
Jack owes Davy Jones a debt and he screws over just about everyone in this movie to get out of the debt and he screws over some wrong people. Um, he screws over Will and he screws over Elizabeth, uh, but then Elizabeth screws him back, uh, but in a very deceptive way. So Jack Sparrow winds up supposedly dead at the end of this movie, but you can't kill off a leading yeah, character right, like this. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. The Kraken was an amazing CG experience too. Uh, the musical score that goes along with it. And this Kraken is horrifying. Like This Kraken rips through ships. It's probably the best on since Ray Harryhausen many years ago. This is probably the best on-screen adaptation of the Kraken that you'll ever see. Yeah. Um, well, his Kraken wasn't really an octopus. It was just a four-armed sea monster. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, it's a really good uh, giant. It, may, it makes me not want to go in a swimming pool. That's yeah. For sure. So, <laughs> anyway. So, Jack Sparrow supposedly dies, and the movie uh, Dead Man's Chest ends on a cliffhanger where they say, if there's any possible thing we could have done to bring him back. And then this mythical character named Tia Dolma, uh, played by this uh, hot uh, African-American actress. Um, Naomi Harris. My own, Naomi Harris. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, she blo- it's so different from her other roles. that I, she's at, That's like when she's kind of method acting, and I actually forget it's her. Yeah. Um, but no, Naomi Harris plays a mythical character named Tia Dolma. And Tia Dolma says, you know, if there is anything you could do to bring with the Jack, back from the dead would you do it and they all say yes because and them and the audience just love jack so much that we want to see him come back again and they said oh but one more thing if you're gonna go to the land of the dead to get back jack you're gonna need a captain that knows the waters there and then in the last five seconds of dead man's chest so tell me what's become of me ship And he takes a bite out. Cap- Captain Barbosa is resurrected back to life. And then, um, yeah, he yeah. had su- after such a satisfying death, he comes back. And a lot of people had mixed feelings about Barbosa coming back. Well, it's cool because he originally yeah. he was a villain and now he's kind of turned to so the side. So now we're segueing into Pirates of the Caribbean 3 at World's End, which came out less than a year after Jed Man's Chest. Oh, man. If you're going to summarize the plot to this movie, we're going to be here all night. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to be very quick. They Because the, this movie's the, the only the reason I'm saying is because this movie's three hours long. It, <laughs> yeah, no. They wanted a Return of the King style it's a sequel. Big epic finale, you know. They wanted so many things happen in this movie, but I'm going to sum it up act by act. Act one, they inter- they try to introduce a new character, uh, the pirate captain from Singapore. Uh, Cap- I forget his name. He's played by Chai Yun Fat. Uh, yeah, good actor. Sao Feng, Captain Sao Feng. Um, he's not in the movie very much for such a big named actor, but anyway, so they get a ship from him to go to the land of the dead. They go to the land of the dead and they, they spend the first act of the movie in the land of the dead, which is Davy Jones's locker, by the I, way. I fucking love the part where Johnny Depp is, or Captain Jack Sparrow, sorry, is stuck in like basically purgatory. Yeah, no. All by himself. And then when uh, he's about to leave, he sees, he, he looks up and he sees his ship and it's being carried by a bunch of sea crabs. And well, look- it's rocks that turn into crabs. Yeah, rocks that turn into crabs. The look on his fucking face is priceless. It's like, just, like, it's like one nostril in his face is kind of crooked and the other one's wide open. Yeah. It's such a what-the-fuck face. Yeah, no, like, 
yeah, it, so, this movie goes into really trippy territory. Like I kind of like that. Yeah. And yeah. The second and third acts. The second and third acts. They long story through a series of very complicated. Uh, it, it's uh, ropey and confusing. Yeah, yeah. Through a series. Uh, I swear the pirate sequels just kept get getting more more confusing. But anyways, they get out of Davy Jones's locker. They come back to the land of the living, yeah. and they. Understand that okay, we have to stop Lord Beckett uh, from the East India Trading Company, who also controls the heart of Davy Jones and is using Davy Jones to basically slaughter pirates all over the ocean. Yeah. So they have to stop these two entities, and the only way they can do that is to raise is to form an army of all the pirates from all over the world. So they go so they gather in this cool place called Shipwreck Cove, actually have a council for all these pirate captains, which is actually a really funny scene. And, and J Jack Sparrow's daddy shows up played yep. by none other than Keith, Keith Richards. Fucking Richards. And his his intro scene is actually really funny because as established in the first movie, I forgot to mention this, the pirates have something called the code, and Barbosa kind of dismisses it as more of guidelines and actual rules. But then, and quite often you'll hear the quote, hang the code and hang the rules. This one captain says, hang the code, who cares? And then Keith Richards' pirate shoots the guy and then he blows the, the, the pistol from smoke and says, code is the law. You're in my way, boy. And then, you know, Keith Richards has like fought two lines in the whole movie, but... That got bums in seats. I remember, like, because my mom was also a Stones fan and a Johnny Depp fan, so she was she. We, well, she, it's, it's funny because Keith Richards was, was a major influence on uh, Johnny the, Depp's performance. Yes, which is the, yeah. one of his mannerisms. Yes, very true. Now, and then the third act is basically Davy Jones and Beckett versus all the pirates. So basically, uh, they have a Return of the King style battle. I swear, Return of the King. Uh, and Lord of the Rings in general just made every franchise in the 2000s want to have armies just thrown at each other because yeah. Lord of the Rings did it so well, other franchises want to have armies just go at each other. So a pirate army and the Royal Navy plus Davy Jones uh, go to battle. The, the fight's actually quite epic, and uh, the stakes go really, really high. Um, in order to win this battle... Uh, you have to kill Davy Jones, and the only way you can kill Davy Jones is stab the heart, which is in the dead man's chest. But there's a catch that is revealed early in this movie. Whoever stabs the heart of Davy Jones has to take the place of Davy Jones as captain of the Flying Dutchman for all eternity. So um, there's a big conflict in the movie between whether or not Will or Jack will stab the heart, because Jack made a promise that if Will stabs the heart of Davy Jones... Uh, his father, Bill, is free from all eternity uh, from service on board the Dutchman. So uh, it's a, it's really complicated, but ultimately what happens is in the final fight, Jack has the option to stab the heart. And by the way, uh, a character art for Jack is if Jack stabs the heart, he he will have he won't be he he'll have to stop being so narcissistic. Because what's Jack is a very narcissistic character, uh, enjoyably so though. He's got a lot of quirks and eccentricities. So for Jack sure. has to make a choice: stab the heart and kill Jones, or have Will stab the heart and uh, but Will loses his love, the love of his life. Remember that. 
But ultimately, Davy Jones simplifies things by stabbing Will in the heart and killing him, but then Jack throws the blade into Will's hand, and he has Will stab the heart with his last ounce of strength. So Jones is killed, Will becomes the captain of the Flying Dutchman, and they basically uh, pwn the Royal Navy. And then that's the end of the movie. Um, so uh, Will has to is basically subjected to an eternity of servitude aboard the Flying Dutchman as its new captain, but, you know, everyone on the ship is happy because apparently Jones fucked things up and was all cursed and shit, but now everyone on the ship is happy again. And then Jack goes back to doing piratey things, and that's kind of... it's kind going to be a trend for the remainder of the franchise. Yeah, it's kind of... Um, it, it, it ends on such a satisfying yet underwhelming note. I, it's such a complicated feeling because I'm, I was happy with Will's ending and and uh, Elizabeth's ending, oddly enough, but I was under, underwhelmed with Jack's ending because Jack goes back to doing just random piratey things. And I feel like that's where the series could have just ended, and I would have been fine with it. They kind of sass- they told a, a really satisfying trilogy of, and they kind of left it where you know Jack can go anywhere he wants because he's free. But um, four years later, uh, in 2011, they had to resurrect uh, this series with a new director, uh, Rob Marshall, who, and the first two pirate, the first, the pirates trilogy was directed by Gore Verbinski and produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, but Jerry Bruckheimer produced all these films, but, uh, they changed directors after the trilogy, Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago and would later go on to direct, um, uh, Mary Poppins returns for Disney and a few other films for Disney. Uh, he directed Pirates of the Caribbean 4 on Stranger Tides. With Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley did not come back for this one, but Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush did. So they had to uh, get some new B-listers. They had to, and they also had to get a new villain because Barbosa and Jack uh, become allies. Uh, it's kind of like a, a love-hate relationship between the two of them, but Barbosa uh, literally gets uh, a line in with the Royal Navy and uh, there's also that kind of a complicated uh, character arc with him. I have to be honest, I've only seen On Stranger Tides once, and I only remember yeah, a f- me too. I've only and I only remember a few things about it. I only saw it once in the theater. I never bothered to watch it again. But here's the thing: the cast uh, was pretty interesting. They brought back uh, Jeffrey Rush and Johnny, as I mentioned, but. To get a, a new uh, love interest for Jack Sparrow, they got Penelope Cruz as a pirate lady named Angelica. Now, Penelope Cruz was really hot and really feisty in this movie. I mean, she's a fiery Latina, so you get what you pay for. So, um, and but her father is the villain, and her father is a real pirate legend, Blackbeard, and he's played by Ian McShane. Uh, I don't really. The the whole conflict is they want to find the Fountain of Youth, and Jack and uh, Jack and uh, Blackbeard have a showdown over it, and uh, they both die. And uh, Ian McShane, no, Blackbeard has a, a zombified crew, uh, and yeah, it's kind of a. It was an. I, I was I was underwhelmed. I was underwhelmed by this movie. I felt like it it felt kind of directionless, even though there was a coherent story. Um, it w- it felt like they were just kind of milking this franchise uh, for whatever it was worth. 
And this is where this is the part where like I felt like they were just kind of dragged the story out. But uh, they find uh, the Fountain of Youth, and this is the first movie where Jack does not have his ship, the Black Pearl, but he gets it back at the end. But with a twist, it's shrunk into this little ship in a bottle, so he can't really do much with it until the next movie. Oh God, I skipped this in the theater. Nothing about it, even though I was a fan of the tr- of the Pirates trilogy. I skipped this in the theater. Uh, I skipped the fifth movie, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which that I think on Disney Plus they changed the title to Salazar's Revenge, but it is still called in the movie title on Disney Plus on uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Interesting. They should have just changed the title of this fucking thing to Dead Franchises Tell No Tales. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, but the plot of this movie is, it feels regurgitated from Curse of the Black Pearl, I'm being honest. Uh, a younger Jack Sparrow in his heyday tricks uh, Captain Salazar, who was like a, a captain in the Spanish Navy, into sailing into the Bermuda Triangle, which is all cursed. Him, Salazar and his crew get cursed, but I don't care about this crew at all. It's not like with Curse of the Black Pearl where you care about Barbosa and his crew and you will actually want to see them break the curse and be human again. I don't care about this crew at all. They got a huge actor to play uh, Salazar too, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem, yes. Ha- Javier Bardem. He's good. He says Jack Sparrow's name really funny. Jack Sparrow. And Seriously? no, I, and I literally watched this movie for the first time j- just so I could record this this episode, and it it's such a snooze fest. I just lost interest. Oh, yeah. I don't care about anything. I don't care that Jack Sparrow is losing. I don't care that Jack Sparrow is losing interest in his adventures. I don't care that the that his sidekicks are losing uh, interest in his adventures. But they try to do something interesting. I thought it was funny. I mean, like last night, I was I caught you watching the movie, and you were just slumped. I like, fucking asleep. was. I had to. I had to watch the second half of it uh, this morning uh, just so I could be ready for this show. Yeah. Now, it's, now, Evan, what's up? Evan, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to say it's interesting that you're saying you don't care about absolutely anything that's happening in this movie because I've just been building and building and building up to saying this that like. I don't give a fuck about any of these sequels. I couldn't care less about anything because all these pirate sequels just get so much more heavy handed with their plots that it's hard to follow sometimes. And it just basically, by the time we get to the fourth movie, uh, what's it called again? On Stranger Tides. On Stranger Tides. You can't even remember the titles of these movies. Yeah, yeah, they're all the same. But that movie should just literally be called The Jack Sparrow Show. That's all. Yeah. yeah, that's all these movies become is just he's the focus, and there's no other interesting characters that are memorable that yeah. come out later on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this is, and apparently, this is apparently where the studio and its uh, A-lister called it quits because Disney has no plans to make a Pirate Six, and apparently. Johnny Depp no longer wants to play the character. He, he quit the franchise after uh, the reception of uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Because apparently it, it underperformed at the box office and it didn't get good critical reviews. It was the first movie in the series to flop and it took f- uh, five of them. 
So here's a question for everyone. Yeah. Uh, at what movie did you feel like this was the end of the franchise? When should it have stopped? The problem yeah, when should it stop? with this question I have is I would like to say it should have stopped at the first one, but I agree. After the first one, you never would have, you know, gotten the satisfaction of seeing J uh, Jack go on all these adventures. So I would be a little more generous, and on a good day, I would be a little more generous and say it should have stopped after three. And I feel like I it, I have to say three because if it stopped after two, that means a cliffhanger ending, and you p audiences hate cliffhangers. Where, they, yeah. where it has to segue. So, I generous me wants to say it should have stopped after the trilogy, but re, the filmmaker part of me wants to say it should have stopped after the first one. Mm -hmm. well, that's a, yeah, like, no, I, I agree. It, it's, not, it's, it's not a great trilogy, but at least it's a purposeful trilogy. Yeah. They build yeah. these like, characters up in the scenarios, and it all pays off in the end in the third one. Yeah. Maybe the mixed results, but I would say like the, it is a three-part story. Yeah. But everything after feels so redundant and yeah. unnecessary that yeah, I would say yes, I would stick with the first one. It is the best one of the entire franchise. But you know, like the first three are at least you know tied together. Yeah. More or less. Uh. And one last thing I do want to say, in the fifth movie, they actually tried to resurrect a story arc with Will uh, Turner. Oh, yeah, Will comes back. Yeah, in the, in one, the fifth they? movie, you, they actually tried to retcon the ending of At World's End, which felt really insulting to me because he he the, he becomes Captain of the Flying Dutchman and everything's hunky-dory, but then Will Turner's son grows up, goes to find his father at sea, and it turns out, oh shit, the Dutchman is cursed, and I'm cursed for some fucking reason. And the only way I can break this curse is a trident, which Aquaman would do much better uh, in his movie a, a year later, but that's another story. So, <laughs> that's another franchise. <laughs> the D We already talked about the DCEU in another in our yeah, episode I, I will say with the sequels like dead man's chest it had a a, a few fun action scenes oh it. for like, sure and, like the like three ways the three-way like sword fight on the on the on the water wheel i love that scene yeah the ending where they're on the water wheel and earlier in the movie where jack sparrow's tied to that bamboo stick and he's trying to like oh get, yeah free and all that like and the fruit are attached to it like it's it's a lot of fun stuff it's just yeah I forget a lot of the details in that movie, but when it came to At World's End, I was just so I felt like I went from recess to math class. <laughs> That's a great analogy because you just I like that. <laughs> you also have to remember uh, they had this map that was like a circular map that you had. It was like a puzzle. Like uh, they had to like navigate themselves like this way and that with this stupid map and i'm like this is not interesting this is boring it's it's making me think i feel like i feel like i'm in school having to solve a math question so you're you are right cody i didn't get the impression that i was in school when i was watching the first two and yeah, the first one the first one's such a fun simple adventure film and i'm a big fan of well not i wouldn't say i'm a big fan of gore Fabinski, but i i really like his style sometimes where he has like a child sensibility to his films like uh rango and mouse hunt yeah yeah uh, but with this film i or with the first movie i would say just stick with that one because it works so well in simplicity and 
yeah, by the time we get to like at World's End, it's such a overly long, bloated, climactic movie that I just felt so tired by the end. And then I, I can just want to say I saw on Stranger Tides in the theater. That was the last movie that I saw. I didn't see the new one. I didn't care. Same. I saw on Stranger Tides in the theater, and I can't remember a single frame from that movie to save my life. Yeah. Wow. It was almost yep. like I didn't even see it. Like, I swear, I, di- I saw it, but it, I didn't see it because there was nothing that stuck with me. I think there were mermaids or something. The, 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 mer- <laughs> the mermaids were the only good part of the... No, no, no. Hey, guys, listen. This is the best way of saying it. Remember when? Uh, remember the episode uh, uh, Bart gets an F in season two of The Simpsons? Yeah. Him trying to describe the plot to uh, Treasure Island. It's about these pirates, pirates with patches over their eyes and uh, birds <laughs> on their shoulders. Yeah. That's basically the plot to some of these movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and by the way. Uh, the second Pirates film, th- no, the fifth Pirates film, Dead Men Tell No Tales, actually had two directors. No wonder yeah, it felt like such a messy movie. So, yeah, and I guess if I had like any last comment, um, what would you think? What what direction do you if if they had to keep going with the Pirates movies, what direction do you think they would take to well, improve the franchise? Right now, it is at the same number of films as the Jurassic Park franchise. So if they're going to make a sixth one, I say... Well, actually, no, they can't... Uh, they can't uh, Spoiler alert from uh, on, from Dead Men Tell... This movie this tells such a fucking mouthful. Uh, dead Storylines. The last one, Dead Storylines. Uh, <laughs> Barbosa actually dies, and it also was revealed oh, no. that he... And Barbosa had a daughter. That, that's in the movie. It was kind of shoved in in the fifth movie, but okay. yeah, Barbosa had a daughter all along. I, I suppose if they do want to continue this franchise, same universe, new characters. Yeah, no. Uh, that could work. So, are you saying, like, you know, cut, don't do it? Yeah, there is talk. Actually, no, wait. There is talk that uh, they do want to do a sixth one, but with a female pirate lead instead of Jack Sparrow. All right. So yeah, I, new new people. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, completely. That's, that's, the, pro- that's if, the problem. Is that like in at in uh, uh what is it called? The second one again? I forget what's called. Dead Man's Chest. Sorry, Dead Man's Chest in at World's End. I remember going. Why are these characters back? Yeah. Why is this person back? Why is he here? Why is this person here? Like I just like why are they here? Why are they back? Where where are the new people? And then when they introduce new people, they don't stick. Yeah. They're not memorable. Um. So. If they're going to do uh, a sixth movie, I would have it be like, you know, uh, a completely new adventure, but something that gives the series closure. Like, let's say there is a female pirate who idolized Jack Sparrow and wants to be just like him. But then she discovers through a series of events that she can't. And then she just, you know, says, OK, I had my fun. That's it. And but we, our audience, had like one last fun romp. Like, yeah. create a new, create a new story rather than just resurrecting curses, because uh, yeah. that's all they can do. Like after the after the third movie, it was all regurgitated cur- curses and eternal life and immortality. Do something different. Like create a simple story where it's just like you. The Royal Navy has a bounty on your head. Make it like the Mandalorian, where you're just like you know. It's like a Western sea. That's the only way a six pirate movie could be good. 
simple a simple like western at sea where no not that many mythical elements you're just outrunning the law have it be nice simple and fun have some cool practical stunts with new characters and then just be happy you saw one last installment to this franchise just for the novelty of it and then that's it yeah that's the only way i can see a sixth pirate movie working so for now can we all agree the rum is gone why is the rum gone? The rum's gone. Why is the rum always gone? <laughs> okay. So what's next, Cody? What do you want to talk about? All right. So uh, the fran- my franchise is. Uh, do you guys happen to know this one guy na- by the name of uh, James Cameron? I'm the king of the world. Yeah, brought him up in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's this guy that made these like smaller films. You probably heard of them. I think it's called the Avatar and Titanic. Oh man, those movies had like the crappiest budgets and production design. Man, they didn't put any time or effort into those. And what the hell is up with you know the over reliance on you know Uh, special effects, man? Oh, so terrible. Totally not like cutting edge or revolutionary. Anyways, yeah. So, so James Cameron back in the early '80s, I would say, he started after he was a truck driver and scraping gum off of the desks of schools. He finally gets jobs at Roger Corman's company as a unit director and a special effects guy, and then he landed his first directorial gig doing Piranha 2, which is a sequel to Piranha that was directed by Joe Johnston, who would later on do Gremlins. Oh yeah, and he with Joe Dante. Very... Yeah, like, with James Cameron that. taking over. What is it with James Cameron doing sequels like that? Movies that other people did, like. Well, no, no, he did the first. He did the second Alien. He did the second Piranha. Yeah, yeah, the second uh, Terminator, which he all yeah. he developed. Yeah, but to be fair, yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, yeah I said James yeah. Dante, right? The first Piranha. Have we seen Piranha? No. I personally haven't seen the Piranha movies. Okay, well, that doesn't matter. But okay, so he had a really stressful time making Piranha Two because uh, they were very under budgets, and he was also trying to go over budget because he was, you know, very ambitious because that's who he is, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, half so. The cr- and most of the crew he was working with didn't even speak English. Like it was a very frustrating time for him. And later on, he gets fired from this movie and. Yes. There's like a there's like a rumor and a myth that he was like trying to break into the editing suite to like literally edit the film himself because he was so frustrated from it. But so he had such a stressful time making this and he was also stuck wherever he was filming this. He couldn't actually go back home. That one night he had a nightmare and it was a a skeleton that was an endoskeleton engulfed in flames and it was coming towards him and it was relentlessly coming towards him. Yeah, and then the next morning he drew that photo of that endoskeleton and it, and there would behold is the Terminator. Yeah. So the Terminator is a 1984 film directed by James Cameron and uh it is about in the near future of 2029, so we're almost there. Oh, man. Uh, the entire world is in a post-apocalypse. From, is a post-apocalyptic world after 
uh, Skynet, which is a uh, cyber, I don't even know how to describe it really. It's, it's an artificial a, intelligence. A cyber, like a, uh, a, a, a processing computer that learned how to adapt and fight against uh, humans basically destroys the entire world and there's only like a few survivors left of that and they go to war with these machines known as the terminators yeah and one man and one man leads uh the resistance the humans to victory and his name is john connor but the terminators have a plan on sending one of their machines back to the year 1984 to kill the mother of john connor sarah connor played by linda hamilton yes and the humans send back uh, one of their soldiers, uh, Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean. And, right. Again. And the Terminator that's sent back to kill Sarah Connor is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold! Arnold. And basically, it's only, I'm just going to say it's only uh, a question of who's going to reach her first. That's all I'll say. I'll keep it simple. Yeah. So the very good game of cat and mouse that first movie. Do you guys know who almost was cast as the Terminator? Um, wasn't it like uh, something crazy like uh, Kevin Costner? No, even worse. <laughs> who? O.J. Simpson. What? Oh man. Oh god. Isn't that fucked? Oh my god. Yeah, uh, I I find that hilarious. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's funny. When you look at the first Alien and you look at the first Terminator, they're both essentially a horror sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. There's more horror. Like, like the first Terminator functions like a slasher film where the Terminator's hunting down Sarah Connor, but at first he's going through the phone book at every other Sarah Connor that's in the listings. And he's literally just going literally door to door to these Sarah Connors and just gunning them down with no emotion, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's a very solid written movie. Like James Cameron knew how to like uh, be very inventive with a lot of special effects in the movie at the time. And there's a few shots that are a bit outdated. Uh, you can tell Arnold's like a puppet or something. Yeah, even though it was Stan Winston involved with his special effects, there's a few things in it that don't quite hold up. But it's still for its time. It's very ambitious, and it's it's a very unique film. And speaking of Stan Winston, he's also uh, a special effects supervisor on the other franchise you're going to do in part two. Yes, yes, yes. That's good you said that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's funny. Years, well, as cable became like a really big thing in uh, in the 80s and also, uh, you know, home video rental became a huge thing. The Terminator became a bigger hit when that came about afterwards. Because it was in theaters, and I think it was a modest hit at the time. But, uh, of course, uh, Hollywood does what it does best, and they want to make a sequel. So yep. you're like, oh, okay, how do we do a sequel? Well, But, but Cody, this it, sequel is one of the best sequels ever made to any movie. Yeah, well, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. Yeah. So the, the, talent, the true talent of James Cameron, which actually gets me excited for the second Avatar, is that he does really well at building off of material. He really so, does. It's a it's a talent that a lot of people seem to underestimate. Yeah. Yeah. Like he can take he can take something and go. Okay, how do I make that more emotional, more action packed, just a little bit more, you know, oomph to it. Oh, <laughs> you know, in the you horizon. Know. Yeah. So in the year 1991, 
we are released with a fantastic landmark of an action film known as Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. Hands down, one of the best sequels ever made. I personally think it is by far way better than the first. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even though I love, even though I love the first movie, uh, this is probably the best action film I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, like Brad, uh, Brad Fidel. Well, he he did he did uh, the score for the first movie, but his score for the second movie is so good. Like, just watch it again. It's very metallic. It's very tragic. It's very hopeful. It's so emotional. <laughs> and just yeah, again, like the the amazing character development in this movie, because essentially it's it's it functions plot wise the exact same as the first movie. Where again, it's a Terminator going back in time, and it's another. But then there's a protector coming back in time to to target uh, John Connor. But it's only a question of who's going to reach him first, right? Mm-hmm. It is so John Connor. And a lot, one thing I want to point out is that a lot of people get confused about the timeline of this movie. Is that yes, it was released in 1991, but it actually takes place in 1997. Oh, so, so the not-too-distant future, then. Right. Yeah, So yeah, because the first movie, it takes place, and it was released in 84, but a lot of people get, get it confused. It's actually 97 it takes place in, but 91 it was released. Oh. So John Connor, the, the you know, at the end of the first movie, like Sarah survives and lives on, is going to raise John Connor the way that he is. But James Cameron comes back with a sequel like, hey, what if there's a way we can stop Judgment Day from happening? And Judgment Day is the day that the bombs fall and the machines take over the world. Yeah. yeah. So this movie follows. Uh, Arnold Arnold is back, but this time with a very clever twist. He's the protector of John Connor. Yeah. yeah. And the, the antagonist... Who is hands down one of the best antagonists in any oh, film ever? So good. Yeah. Is the, is the T1000 played by Robert Patrick, who is a liquid metal Terminator? That, and yes. that, is, such, that is such a unique concept. Liquid metal. Like yeah. I just always picture like if I would touch that, what would it feel like? You know, like it's it's so cool. Uh, and yeah, he can ship shape a uh, ship shape into like people. He can make knives out of his hands. He can morph down to the floor, basically, to camouflage. He can, he can walk through certain things, like, like not walls, but, like, bars, you know, yeah. and all that. And what's really and, yeah, like, I, like I said, it's, it functions the same way as the first movie, but um, it, it's more action-packed, and it's a lot more emotional. And the Terminator has a really nice arc in the movie of learning... Yeah. yeah of just gaining humanity and the, the just the dynamic between him and John Connor just because John Connor is a very like juvenile kid he swears a lot he's stealing a lot of people he's just he's a, he has a lot of attitude and a lot of angst yeah. to him but he kind of matures a little bit throughout the story and helps the Terminator regain a little bit of humanity and yeah it's, it's very sweet and and, and also well, I find so, what I find yeah. so fascinating about the dynamic between the two Terminators between the T-800 and the T-1000, is that yeah. Robert Patrick blends in with humanity like a god, like a real police officer, but oh, he, yeah. figure, he is an authority figure. He's a machine, but he blends in like a real human. In the first Terminator, Arnold feels like a robot when you see him walking around very jerky and like wearing the sunglasses, even though 
like he has like a full on skin over his exoskeleton. Yeah. Kind of feels robotic. Well, that's but the thing about the T one thousand, it's an improved model. Exactly. So that's... I mean Skynet was getting smarter and finding better ways to be to create the perfect. Yeah, that's what T one thousand so fast. Lyle, you said the you said the the perfect point that I wanted to get to eventually, and it's not it, it is that it's not that James Cameron was trying to say, oh, we need to come up with a cool and better, awesome looking Terminator. It's it, it's like no, we need to come up with a character that has like a bigger threat on our main characters, and and also to show that in the future, Skynet is going to advance even more than just making robotic Terminators. So it's like we really need to stop Judgment Day from happening. Like it's so brilliant, it's so nuanced as well. Yeah. And and here's where I say that after at the end when uh, they they destroy Cyberdyne Systems that was run by uh, Miles Tyson, uh, uh, by Joe Morton, uh, right. they get all any remaining things that they can get from like if they have to continue. Any sort of Terminator or Skynet or Cyber things, they get rid of it. They throw it in the in the smulch, and the Terminator sacrifices himself in a very beautiful scene. And uh, that, to me, was the end of it. And even James Cameron said that there's no way we could re- really continue this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until here we go. Okay, I need to like. Calm down, because I I might. Cody, don't you realize something that even James James Cameron didn't know? Judge what day is inevitable? Oh fuck! Now you're really. If you don't like it, buttons, you can talk to the hands. You're pushing my buttons, Lyle. Oh my god! <laughs> pushing your buttons real good. <laughs> yes. So after the rights of the Terminator were. Uh, sent off to i believe it was uh well marco marco cruiser who was the producer of the first two films or no i think it was just t2 uh inquired the rights to warner brothers i i assume i can't really remember the the actual like way that that went but uh basically they wanted to see if there was potential for a terminator 3. so are you guys ready for what the plot of terminator 3 rise of the machines is are you ready i've I've seen parts of it Quite honestly, it's very. Are you, are you ready for the most original Terminator story ever? Hit, what is it, Cody? Hit me. Arnold. Arnold goes back in time to protect John Connor when another Terminator is sent back in time to kill him. Wow, that's again original. Oh, amazing! Here's what. Here's what's not amazing: the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Yes, I'm not kidding, guys. I'm not kidding. There is literally, it is literally beat for beat Terminator 2, but it feels so watered down. It is very watered down. It has a very terrible sense of humor in it. But yeah, as you said, the talk to the hand and uh, picking up the glasses, which, by the way, the first Terminator, he puts on glasses because he cut out his eye because it was damaged. And obviously he couldn't be walking around with like a fucking, you know, red eye Terminator looking eye. So wearing the glasses is a great disguise and it created a look to it. Yeah. In Terminator, in Terminator 2, he wore the glasses because he stole the bike and the clothes of all those guys in that biker bar. And that one guy was threatening, like, you better not, you know, you better come off that bike, buddy, before I put you down. He takes his gun Arnold just takes his gun without saying a word and then just takes his glasses without saying a word. Is it like a way of saying, don't fuck with me? 
right? Yes. So Paul Jenkins. It was a flourish. In the, third yeah. movie, in the third movie, he picks up, like, he, he goes to this, like, stripper bar clothes, which is like, oh, ha, ha, it's a male stripper. He's wearing male stripper clothes, ha, ha, ha. And then in the pocket of one of those, the the male stripper outfit is, like, these, like, star glasses he puts on. So, yeah. ha, 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 wearing star glasses. It's it was like, literally oh, a fucking parody. Yeah. It was a joke. Uh, one thing I'd like to That's point, true. It is like a parody. One thing I'd like to point out is about uh, Terminator Two that we a point you missed. Like you remember, so you said that the plot of the second movie feels recycled in the third movie. Um, I'd like to point out that um, in the second movie, uh, Edward Furlong plays a young John Connor. But interesting production note: at the time, Edward Furlong was going through puberty, so his voice does change noticeably from scene yeah. to scene. Yeah, it cracks a lot. Yeah, yeah, his yeah, it cracks a lot in the movie. Yeah. And it, it, and it's one of the most. It was actually one of the biggest technical criticisms of the movie, like the fact that Edward Furlong was going through puberty. It when kind of suits ma- his character though, because he's always like exasperated yeah. at the time. It's a very and he was supposed he was supposed to come back to reprise his role for Terminator Three, but he was kind of going through some drug issues and they couldn't yeah. really get him back. So yeah. they got uh, I forget Nick his name. Stahl. City. Yeah, what? Nick Stahl. Yeah, Nick Stahl. He's uh, the only movie I know him from is uh, Sin City. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's like John Connor's trying to stay off the grid in this movie and. He falls for this Claire Dane, Claire Danes' character, uh, Catherine Brewster, yeah. who apparently becomes like a bigger role in like the, the the Resistance era when she's like the leader, and actually she's the one that sent that Arnold uh, Terminator back to protect them. But the whole movie, again, like it has a bad sense of humor, and the TX in this movie, which is Christina Loken, yeah. And, Clearly, clearly, it's just a, a a way of trying to be like, oh, wouldn't it be you know sexy and cool to have like a, a woman Terminator? But honestly, the sex appeal in this movie has dated so horribly. It really yeah. has. So horribly. And uh, she's not even that movie, cool. And to give the movie some credit, uh, uh, Arnold is kind of funny and likable at some points. There's some good lines from him. Yeah. Like, there's one part where the, uh, John Connor and Catherine Brewster are just, like, talking after, like, you know, you know, a lot of heavy shit's been happening to their characters, and they have, like, a moment, like, a light moment, and then the Terminator just goes, Your levity's good. It reveals tension and the fear of death. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, that's kind of funny. As the Terminator, to be honest. Yeah. But here's an interesting thing about Terminator 3. It has an ending that works very well. Yes. Yeah, the idea that like there's nothing we could have done about Judgment Day. There's like it is inevitable. We can't do anything about it. I just John Connor has to just embrace his destiny as a leader instead of running from it. Mm-hmm. And just the beautiful score at the end of the movie because the movie just has a really bad score up until the very end, where it's actually like very tragic and emotional, and like seeing the bombs drop and like the devastation. Like it's an ending that kind of made me go, okay. Is, Bad as this was, I, I kind of liked it. It's like it's kind of like I, another analogy. It's like someone just beat the absolute shit out of me, and then they take me to the hospital and say, "Save this guy's life, please save his life." <laughs> like, okay, okay. What was the point of that then? You you just literally put me through torture, but then you kind of saved me at the end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, 
I kind of see that, yeah. Yeah. Terminator 3 is far from unwatchable, but yeah, it does. It pales compared to the other two. Yeah. It just feels so pointless. Like, it, it cheats the mythology. Like, yeah, as you said, Judgment Day is inevitable. Like, it, yeah, that came out. Kind of lazy. It, it just, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, pointless. Yeah. Sorry, what? Uh, sorry, uh, have you uh, spoke your piece about uh, Rise of the Machines? Yeah, well, I know, do you guys have anything to say about it? Or I haven't. I've only seen, like, uh, bits and pieces of Terminator 3. I know they had the sexy uh, female Terminator, and uh, that's kind of all, that's really it. Well, here's the thing, like, uh, this movie is sort of like the Alien 3 of this franchise, where it is a bland waste of potential. And that is, uh, in 2009, uh, Terminator Salvation hits the theater. 2009, that's a long wait. During, during, during a summer where a lot of films were affected by the writer's strike at the time, yeah. where a lot of films really had to just cram into production without a complete script and it really shows in hindsight a lot of films back then like uh i mean we'll get into the we'll get into revenge of the fall and later on oh but, god uh, cody but, uh, don't but, remind uh, me x-men origins wolverine and uh even uh, abrams uh, star trek also was affected as well may not have hurt as bad as the other movies because it was still competent but uh but anyways uh, Terminator Salvation is like almost a departure from the formula of Terminator, uh, the Terminator movies, because this time it takes place during the war. Yeah. And uh, I find that an interesting premise. It's just the problem is, is that it, well, first of all, it doesn't tie into the originals at all, which is, I thought, what was going to happen at the end, because the whole mission of the movie is John Connor, played by Christian Bale. Uh, Are you a professional or not? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go rip your fucking lights down in the middle of the city. And why the fuck are you walking right through? I don't like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you? Give me a fucking answer. Fuck yeah, that man, you're amateur. That's the best part of this movie, and it's not even <laughs> that's the best movie. part of the movie. <laughs> the bailout. Oh my god. <laughs> No, no, sorry. So Christian, so John Connor, played by Christian Bale, is trying to track down uh, Kyle Reese because he has a bit of information on what to do. And uh, yeah, this movie feels like a very—it's a—it's such a dull experience, and it feels rushed and not—and it's kind of dated now. It, it, it almost—it feels—you know what it feels like? It feels like a very just saturated Transformers movie. Well, yeah, because there's literally a giant Terminator robot like that yeah. powers over well, everything. Transformers. I'll, I'm going to talk about this in part two because Transformers is the next uh, franchise I'm tackling. But Transformers kind of set the tone for dumb, mindless action films for the rest of the decade. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, no, we are. Yeah, that's a good point. We're going to get to that, but uh. But I, I saw Terminator Salvation in the theater because I felt like, oh, hey, the Terminator franchise is coming back. And I was such a huge fan of the Terminator movies. Like, actually, Terminator 2 was the first Terminator movie I watched. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, so I, you funny, lucky I soul. At, you lucky I soul. At, I looked at the original Terminator as almost like a prequel as a kid, but even though it's not. So, because <laughs> I saw that afterwards. But uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, no, because I don't. I don't look at it that way. It's just a funny way I look at it because, yeah, I went from two to one to three. <laughs> uh, but uh, I felt, hey, it's cool that the Terminator movies are coming back and, like, it'd be cool to see one up on the big screen. The oh. biggest problem with it is PG-13. Yeah. So it was very bloodless and very lame, and it's just, yeah, again, it's just that bland action that was really prevalent a lot in the early, or I should say late 2000s. Yeah. And a moment that had me finally at the edge of my seat when I thought Arnold was going to come back on the screen, it ended up just being a fucking like video game cutscene looking Arnold. Yeah. Like, like bad CGI? Well, yeah, because he didn't come back. Yeah. To, like, put a digital render. He, it was a, it, it was Cody, Cody, Cody. Yeah, yeah. Arnold was busy being the governor, so he couldn't come back as the Terminator. Yeah, it's true. After his after his term was up, he his the first movie that he came back was uh, The Expendables a year later. In he was actually still technically governor when they were shooting that movie. His term wrapped up... Sh- he had a bigger part in the Expendables sequel, hence that's why he came back for it. But the last full, I think his big comeback was a movie called The Last Stand, yeah. where he defends a little town from thugs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that movie. Yeah. 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 But, the, whole movie, the whole movie, he's just wink winking. I'm old. I'm old. It's like, yeah. you get it. Hey, shut up. Yeah. Um, get used to that little, soon. I don't know if you guys. I mean, there's really not much to say about Terminator Salvation it's other than it's such a blip. You yeah. can literally but, skip it. Right. As as all the other sequels in comparison, it at least has one where they try to like do something new. So I will give it that. Okay. Yeah, I can see what you mean. I never understood yeah. why the 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 apocalypse looks so bright. Like there was a sun coming through the clouds all the time. Like it it looked too like. Yeah, it didn't have the same like grim tone of the originals like the first two. Maybe yeah. yeah. like, fought at night, but I always assumed it was always a permanent darkness because the the, the mushroom clouds that erupted throughout the planet that just crippled the atmosphere and caused everything. Similar to what happened in the Matrix with the human machine. Yeah, war. like the sunlight is just permanently blocked by this giant cloud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what uh, I thought. But in Terminal Salvation, everything just looks like a desert. Speaking of Apocalypse, uh, Cody, you didn't talk about one of the most haunting scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, in Judgment Day, I'm sorry we keep going back to this, but in Judgment Day, yeah. there's a scene where uh, a nucle- Sarah Connor has this dream or nightmare where a nuclear bomb goes off and it melts like human beings like in her peripheral vision. It's so horrifying. Yeah burst yeah uh, well that movie is so fucking that's like one out of many scenes in that movie that is just too fucking intense yeah um like it's funny i me- i think i mentioned in a podcast uh another time did i mention that like my mom worked at this video store called top gun video yes you did yeah you mentioned that. yeah and then later on after you know she had me and then she'd take me there until it went out of business there was a a uh a cutout uh promotional uh uh, advertisement for Terminator 2 that was still around in the store when I was born and I remember it being like very water, like sun damaged it was very old but I just remember looking at it like Arnold on the bike and you just see like his eye red through the glasses I'm just like holy god this looks like the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen right mm-hmm. 
And eventually I found that movie. I mean, I was so young, but like I remember finding that movie actually like in the aisle and looking on the back of it. And remember thinking, ah, it's rated R. Like I'm not allowed to watch rated R movies. And eventually my mom would show me bits and pieces of it. And I just thought it was so enticing and awesome hearing a kid, John Connor saying shit and fuck and damn. I'm just like, oh, this is so enticing. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And how violent and intense that movie was. Like, I probably watched that movie a little too young, but I, I think my mom felt like because of the kind of sense of humor that it, like, that the movie had sprinkled throughout, she probably thought it was okay, which I, I in hindsight, think it was okay, you know? Yeah. But a side note that I, I find funny, do you know what I thought rated R meant as a kid? What did you think it mean? What did you think it meant? Rated real. <laughs> uh yeah I, I thought i meant rated real as in like real it's too intense it's too real i can't watch it it's so you know i didn't know it meant restricted but but anyways rated i'm getting real. i'm getting so far off topic but uh okay so let me okay here's where i'm about to like uh fucking get so frustrated again here we go because moving on with this terminator franchise so moving on with this Terminator franchise, uh, in the, I believe, fall of 2014, uh, there was one week where I felt like, hey, it feels like my birthday for some reason, because it just, that whole week, just new movie trailers were getting dropped, like, one after the other, and just getting me excited for the summer of, uh, or I should say the year of 2015. Yeah. So at first, it was Jurassic World. Oh my god, cool. I love Jurassic Park. That was my childhood. I'm excited. And then The Force Awakens. Oh my god, I love Star Wars. I want to see, you know, this is going to be great. I'm so fucking excited for this movie. And then a fucking trailer drops for Terminator Genesis. And the minute Sarah Connor came on screen and said, come with me if you want to live, I said, fuck this, I'm out. (laughs) Why? I knew him. I knew from trailer one that this was going to be a piece of shit film, and I was right. Yeah. So we flash forward to 2015 with Terminator Genesis, 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 however you want to pronounce it. Spelling things wrong is cool, guys. And this is the movie that killed the franchise for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to even begin to talk about the, 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 the plot of this movie because it is the most confusing, confusing, com- most convoluted timeline I can think of. So basically what they do is that they erase the events of the first two Terminator films. Yeah. Mm. And uh, they have Arnold back. They have like the worst fucking casting in this movie. Jai Courtney as Kyle Reese. Does not resemble Michael Bean at all. Fuck, even Anthony Elchin was a better uh, oh, Kyle shit. Reese. Yeah, and that's one of the last bit, like major blockbusters he did. No, I know. Star Trek Beyond was the last major blockbuster he yeah. did before. I know it wasn't his last movie, but... Yeah. 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 So, uh, this, uh, this, little, this little film called uh, Thoroughbreds was uh, Anton's last movie. Yeah, yeah, we saw that recently. Our buddy Asad uh, showed it to us. Yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jai Courtney is a piss-poor Kyle Reese. Oh, we're going to talk more about Jack Courtney with your next franchise line. I'm going to talk about him later, yes. But but even Amelia Clark, okay, 
even okay as just visually Amelia Clark looks like she would be a fitting Sarah Connor yeah she's not but like but when you see her act in this movie I'm sorry Game of Thrones fans she's great in the show but like she's fucking awful in this movie yeah and uh I liked her in Solo not to get too off topic I thought she was good in Solo I forgot, I forgot she was in Solo. Yeah, she's kind of forgettable. Oh yeah. Anyways. I forgot she was in that. Oh my god. I feel um, like Terminator Genesis almost takes like the Back to the Future Part 2 route of inserting themselves in the most iconic parts of the like the last few movies. and Like, like Avengers around. Endgame. Yeah, that's it. And playing around with it. So, but yeah, in, well, in the case of both uh, Endgame and Back to the Future Part Two, where those were fun and they didn't like, you can understand the rules of the time uh, line in that. This movie it glosses over things that they should have answered, like who sends the Terminator back to the fifties when Sarah was little, you know? Right. Like that is completely glossed over, and that should be answered. But no, I, I honestly I can't even talk about this movie. It is just it has such a it has an even worse sense of humor than Terminator Three, and it almost comes off so cynical. There's just like this very cynical vibe to it, where it's like we're doing a Terminator film, and it's like we're also we're very action packed and we're very serious, but we're also so silly at the same time. Like we're gonna do what we want. Like it, it just has a very bad tone to it. Yeah, no, I know it's awkward. And then like sometimes they want to make Arnold funny, which which they're again with Terminator Three, and I'll talk about it more. Yeah, but it's a little bit more forced. Thing. In this, is movie. that Arnold? Arnold, honestly, no disrespect to Arnold, but like. Uh, I, I don't mind him in these sequels. Sometimes he's he's a likable, charismatic guy, and he knows oh, how he, to... he is the franchise essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, when I saw this fucking movie in theaters in 3D, I was so mad with this movie that I actually stomped on my 3D glasses. You stomped on your 3D. Glasses? Wow. I was in the parking lot after this movie, and I literally stomped on this movie. And I went, guys, did you fucking hate this movie as much as I did? Because I can't even... It's ruined. I'm like, this fucking franchise has been... It's, it's destroyed. Yeah. They, like, they just, like, now they destroyed it. Where leaving the franchise off on Terminator Salvation was like a, okay, you know, whatever note. You know, it's, it doesn't hurt. Whatever. But Terminator Genesis ruined it. But then, they the kept right, going. But then, uh, Terminator uh, uh, in 2019, uh, the rights for the Terminator franchise get sent back to James Cameron, and because of how misguided this franchise has been, that still didn't excite me for the next movie, which was Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, I heard. I have heard nothing but bad about this movie. Well, I have not seen. Well, I think James Cameron, like, I'm like, did you, uh, I want to say to him, did you take a few notes from Alien 3? Because you literally do the exact same thing that Alien 3 does by killing off the main character at the beginning of the film. Because basically with the Terminator Dark Fate, it did what the recent Halloween movie did, where this is a direct sequel to the original Okay. Or in this case, in this case, it's a direct sequel to Terminator 2. So everything after that doesn't matter, right? They yeah. fucking kill off 
It will just it will despite some pretty good de aging effects of Sarah Connor and John Connor at the beginning, they yeah. kill off John Connor right away, like in the opening scene. Yeah. Like the that. same way they did with Hicks and Newt in Alien 3. I'm just like, oh my god. So right away, you don't have me. <laughs> like, you don't have me, movie. What's going on? A lot of people hated that. Yeah. And to its credit, I mean, maybe it's just because Terminator Genesis, it's still sort of recent still. It, it was 2015, right? This is like 2019, this movie. It, it left a bad it. taste in my mouth that if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Terminator Genesis, I, I think... Terminator Dark Fate would not hurt as much because there are some interesting ideas in it, and yes, it is a better sequel than 3 and uh, Genesis. But again, but I think if you want to look at it as a a sequel to the first two, it's very hyper. You know, like the guy guy that did uh, Deadpool. What's his name? Uh, Um... Tim Miller? Uh, Tim Miller, yeah. yeah so, his name is Tim. I find his hyper-kinetic action scenes a bit of a clash to the first two Terminator movies. I mean, I'm looking at it as a sequel to the first two, right? And it doesn't really gel well with the other two in comparison. Um, and uh, a lot of there's a lot of interesting ideas that are explored in it, like of Sarah Connor being sort of like a a distant character from all this stuff and like there's a uh, arnold's in it as like a terminator named uh carl who just wants to live his life married and has kids and all that it's kind of bizarre but i, I found that kind of interesting okay but, uh, but the character that actually was a little bit of the saving grace no pun intended is the character grace mm. played by mackenzie davis that was not an unintentional pun <laughs> <laughs> i know uh, yeah, no, she's sort of the diamond in the rough in this movie. She's like the, the protector, kind of like, she's like a Terminator, but she's like a, a human that has so, uh, Terminator abilities. Okay, so yeah. she's a cyborg. Yeah, but it's not necessarily a Terminator, but she has like cyborg abilities, but... Um, Yeah. But yeah, uh, again, this movie underperformed at the box office, and now this franchise is left on a note of like, what do we do now? You know? So, yeah, in conclusion, I just say you gotta watch T1 and T2, and that's it. It's just like Alien. James Cameron just raised the bar so high. Yeah. Like, why even bother? Even he said at the end, like, after his run was done with Terminator, he's like, that's it. Throw in the towel. Don't need to do any more. It's done. I, I, I've i perfected my own creation. Now be gone with it. But, you know, they see... And they keep going. Yeah. And I haven't seen it yet, but I was wondering if you guys have seen the uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles show. I haven't, no. No, I've heard of it, though. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either, but I talked to a few friends that are like even more bigger on the franchise, way more than I am, like the whole lore and everything. Uh, they actually yeah. say it's actually a pretty solid show. I've heard that, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Honestly, the, the issue is that they just keep trying to remake Terminator 2. Yep. 
They just they got they got if they want to continue this franchise and keep it fresh. Just stop going back in time and having a Terminator and a Protector. That's it. Just do stop think, doing that. Do you think do they need to do? They need. Do you think it's kind of like Star Wars? How they have to stop focusing on the same group of people, Skywalkers? Do you think they need to stop focusing on the Connors so much and just do something else? Well, that's actually a big problem. I feel like a lot of Hollywood has with a lot of the classic franchises is that they feel like nostalgia baiting every single element of what made the original films great is what sells but what they don't realize yeah. is that you have to innovate you have to push the story further you just you can't get you just can't keep going back and referencing old things that were in the, the new movies over and over again you just gotta try something new that's why um i feel like I feel like I should save this for the Star Wars uh, episode, but I feel like the Star Wars prequels were ahead of their time. I really do, because like they didn't rely on nostalgia for the original trilogy. They were their own complete things. People didn't like them at the time, but now there's a growing appreciation for them. And that's all I'm going to say. We're going to talk more about that in the Star Wars episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is that, a, is that a wrap on uh, our first three uh, franchises for the night, boys? That's part one coming to a close. Stay tuned for part two coming soon to a YouTube near you, I hope no so one, to speak. I have a feeling someone's going to make a note in the comments like, this is one thing that's going on too long. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Ended before it started. <laughs> Good night, America. And congrats. Joe Biden, Harris 2020. <laughs>